This is the second week as I have began. Of course, certainly we pray that there's always some measure of response to the work of the Holy Spirit. But I have found in my Christian experience that when I'm more diligent in my pursuit of something, then I have a tendency to be more, uh, to have the potential to receive greater. Right? Does that make sense? Is that the good doctor right there? That is a familiar voice. I didn't know he would be here today. Thank you, Dr. Brathville and Sister Kathy, for being here today. And we are honored that you're going to kick us off on June the 14th. Amen. But we're going to, uh, you know, this summer, it's just laid on my heart, and I shared this last week, so let me take just a moment before we stand in honor of reading of Scripture, that one of the emphasis at the Assemblies of God, the fellowship that was formed in 1914, and when they began to actually, unfortunately and yet fortunately, transition into a denomination, I think that's pro and con, But in the statement of fundamental truths under number 10 is the church and its mission and the assemblies of God exist to give continual emphasis for the need for New Testament believers to seek for and to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Because if we as a church body don't continually teach the generations to come and people that are coming into the fellowship new, then we will quickly stumble and there will be a breach. We will not hand off a baton that was handed to us. The work of the Holy Spirit. Now, the work of the Holy Spirit is not limited to the baptism and the initial physical evidence. That's the doorway, isn't it? It's the beginning. And I know that the Lord has worked by the Holy Spirit even before you may have received or sought to receive the baptism of the Spirit. But every person that has received can look at their life and see the change that was worked inside of them and how God began to work through them at a deeper level. Now with that, next Sunday, I'm going to actually take a moment to let's just break open this subject right here, the power of speaking in other tongues. Okay, And and to just get right to the heart of it biblically so you can see the value of it. Last Sunday, we focused, our emphasis was on if you had never received the baptism. And we prayed for several that came forward. I have a little different focus here today. And that focus is is to just kind of rekindle the flame, to just kind of stir up some things. And we're going to read some passages of Scripture that's going to set us on that course. And hopefully, we're going to create... Uh, uh, you know, a venue where the Holy Spirit has great liberty among us, which it seems like we're already experiencing that. Come on. So why don't you stand up today, and we're going to begin reading in the book of Leviticus. You know, oddly enough, last week I was in the book of Numbers. I think it's, it, it's unique for us to go back even to the Old Testament as we see the work of the Holy Spirit. Last week we were in Numbers 11 when the spirit of the uh, prophecy fell on the 70 elders because that set the precedence for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to which you and I live in today. Today we begin in Leviticus with his instruction to the Aaronic priesthood, and it's an analogy or a type and shadow that we have to glean a principle from, but it speaks to us today. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they bring unto thee pure olive oil, pure oil olive, beaten for the light, to cause the lamps to burn continually. 
without the veil of the testimony in the tabernacle of the congregation shall Aaron order it from the evening unto the morning before the Lord continually. It shall be a statue forever in your generations. He shall order the lamps. And notice this fourth verse. He shall order the lamps upon the pure candlestick before the Lord continually. So in essence, the candlestick was to always have flame. Isn't that right, church family? I think that God intends that for us as well. First Timothy now, chapter 1, we're going to read three verses and then we'll conclude with reading one verse in 2 Timothy. First Timothy 4, verses 14 through 16, as Paul writes to Timothy. Certainly for every man or woman that is in the ministry, we have spent much of our time in the epistles reading especially First and Second Timothy in the book of Titus. It's actually, in essence, like a training manual for those that are called to ministry. It's not written just to the church in general, but it's written through the life of a minister and then can go beyond. Here the 14th verse, Paul says, "...to neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy." with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. be more of this later. We're going to read this and one additional verse in a few moments from the Amplified Bible to give some clarification. He says, Meditate upon these things and give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting or thy progress may appear to all. So Paul says, Meditate upon what I'm sharing. Focus diligently upon them and you'll see some progress. You'll, it'll, be, it'll be tangible. Right, discernible. The anointing is discernible. Right? Isn't it? Fragrance. It's fragrant. And you can discern it. You can discern its presence and you can discern its absence. So now let's he said, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. So Paul is saying, listen closely to what I'm saying. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Now we turn to 2 Timothy 1 because in essence these two epistles are certainly woven together, separated by time and space when the apostle wrote first to encourage and instruct in Timothy and then secondly to kind of remind him of things that he had, in, he had written about previously. And now it's one verse of scripture. It's very familiar, especially the seventh verse is familiar to many, but my emphasis today is on the sixth verse. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. And so today, for a few moments, kind of drawing our thought process, and you'll see where I've extracted this from in a moment, I would like to talk and just kind of ask God to direct our thoughts in this vein, and that is rekindle the flame, to rekindle the flame. I want to be found guilty of not having left my first love. I don't know when he shall return, but I know one thing, that when he does return, I want to be found as passionate as I can for him and his kingdom and his purpose. And in order to do that, I have to be compelled by an inward force. What is that inward force? It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Come on, he's a comforter, yes, but he also empowers us for God's service. Familiar passage, Acts 1 and 8, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Many of you know that that word in Greek, there are two words in Greek that have been translated in English 
power. And one is exousia, means authority. The other is dunamis, and it means explosive power. So God has something for all of his children. Remember what the Apostle Peter said on that very first day that the Holy Spirit was poured out in the New Testament church. He said, the promise is unto you, your children, and your children's children, even as many as the Lord our God should call. So God is no respecter persons. You know, God will meet people where they are. He'll go past our denominational creeds and constitutions. He'll go past our church signs. He'll do everything wherever he finds hungry hearts receptive to the work of his Holy Spirit. The challenge for us is to believe. challenge for us is to trust that God desires to do these things. He's chosen to use you. Now, God in times past has used a lot of things. I was contemplating this morning. God has used inanimate objects at times to display his power. Right? I mean, Moses had a rod. You know, Elisha caught uh, a cloth. Uh, I thought Jesus had clay. You you know, uh, Hezekiah... Uh, was recovered of a sickness because of a clump of figs. God can use inanimate objects, but God's chosen to use you. He's put his highest anointing, his greatest anointing upon you. He's taken the anointing that was upon Christ that was given without measure, and he's divided it upon the body. Last week I made a statement. I think we have to just regather it as we prepare to pray. It is that the fullness of the anointing that was on Jesus is now found on the body. I have the Holy Spirit by measure. He's given to me as the earnest in my inheritance. The Holy Spirit has divided gifts through us severally as he wills. But collectively as a whole, come on, we can have all the anointing that was on Jesus. Right, upon the body. If it was on the head, then it's on the body. So we need one another. That's why I need you to be on fire for God. Because if you're on fire for God, then this fellowship's on fire. If you've got a gift, then we've got a gift. Come on, somebody. Far too long we've established this thing in the church where you listen and we just preach. We've got to get, that's not the way it's designed by God. God's designed for the body to have an anointing that strengthens one another and does the work of the ministry. So open your heart and your mind to the things of God. I'll not preach long today, but I want to get right into the word and then have time to pray and minister and we'll probably bring the back for the, in your presence. I think it would be a good song to just pick back up again. Does that make sense? Yes. Father, we love you. We're so honored to be here today. Thank you for the reading of Scripture, the attention of our church family. God, I just want to get out of the way and allow your Holy Spirit to do what you have designed this, uh, this service for in the lives of men and women. I pray, Lord, let, let the word be unrestricted and received as, Father, good seed upon good ground. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said... Amen and amen. And you can be seated. For just a moment of time, I think that it's wise for us to take the scriptures and to, to rightly divide them and to look. And one of the things that I do pastorally and personally for my own life, being someone that, that kind of thrives in doctrine. I'm a, I'm a doctrine-oriented uh, pastor But at the same time, I like to not only just read doctrine, which is what we find in the epistles, but I also like to connect to stories in the scripture because there's an example found there. But then there's also metaphors, analogies, or biblical phrase types and shadows. 
I began in the book of Leviticus by alluding to the lampstand. Now the lampstand for just a moment to allow us all to be caught up in this context was first used in the ancient tabernacle, the means that God had given the people of ancient Israel to approach him in worship. And it was placed behind the veil in the holy place. It said across from the table of showbread. And it was there that the priest, not the Levite, but the priest would go in twice daily to actually exchange the bread on the table of showbread, but also to uh, trim the lamp and to make sure that the lampstand was burning bright. And it was, as we read, it was of olive oil was its fuel. It would have a cloth wick and it had a flame. It was seven branched. Many of you have seen them. It's called the menorah. And certainly this was the original, the golden lampstand. But I would like to take just a moment just to put you in context because I think it creates a principle that you and I are to glean from in just a moment. So I will establish it by just reading. This is from Albert Edersheim's book, his famous work on the temple. And let me just read just a couple of paragraphs. It says, now this is the order of the service, just a moment behind the veil. Some things were going on in the courtyard, but the priests had gone into the holy place, not the most holy place I know many of you are familiar with. It says here, now while one set of priests were busy in the court of priests offering the sacrifice, the two on whom it devolved to trim the lamps of the candlestick and to prepare the altar of incense had gone into the holy place. As nearly as possible, while the lamb was being slain without, the first of these priests took with his hands the burnt coals and ashes from the golden altar and put them into a, a golden vessel and withdrew, leaving it in the sanctuary. Similarly, as the blood of the lamb was being sprinkled on the altar of burnt offering, the second priest ascended the three steps hewn in stone which led up to the candlestick. He trimmed and refilled the lamps that were still burning. He removed the wick and old oil from those which had been extinguished. He supplied fresh and relit them from one of the other lamps. Now tuck that in your heart right there. Let me read it to you one more time, okay? Now he supplied fresh and relit them from one of the other lamps. But the large central lamp towards which all others bent and which was called the western because it inclined westwards towards the most holy place might only be relit by fire from the altar itself. Seven branched, three on each side of the central bowl. The central bowl, the fire, would have been taken from off of the altar. Now if you remember reading the scriptures, fire upon the altar was never lit by man. God lit it. God put fire, at least initially, God put fire on the altar as he consumed the sacrifice. From that fire, they would light the candlestick, the centerpiece. But here the author says that if in one of the side branches, the flame began to wane, if it began to go out, as he would put fresh oil in the lamp, that it was another branch that the flame of the other branch could be used to bring to life again the flame of the one that had been extinguished. Now, isn't that powerful? Don't tell me God hasn't woven us all together. Come on, somebody. To bring strength to each other. Hello? 
And so it's a great principle. And so I want to take a moment of time to pick up that passage now. So tuck that in your heart. We'll address that more uh, in just a few moments. Now let's go to that familiar doctrinal passage in 1 Timothy chapter 4, but where our focus is just on that 14th verse for just a moment. I'd like to read it first once again in the King James and then return to you in the Amplified and see if we can expound it and understand its uh, application. For in the 14th verse, Paul is in essence giving instruction to Timothy. And I don't know if he's writing in the backdrop of his knowledge of the ancient temple. But I know that he, and perhaps he is, that he knows that if the priest does not change the oil or add additional fresh oil and trim the wick, then the flame itself will go out. So he's exhorting Timothy in like manner, don't neglect, don't neglect what God's done inside of you. Don't neglect the gift. And now, there are diversities of gifts, and there's different works of the Holy Spirit, and there's salvation that can be neglected. I don't think his reference is about salvation right here. I think it's about his anointing. I think it's about the giftings that God has placed within him that have come upon his life to empower him to do what God's called him to do. Every man that's called to the ministry has a certain gift and an anointing. Every person that's called to be a part of the body of Christ has a certain gifting and anointing. So the word, whether you are in the ministry, labeled ministry, full-time pastor, evangelist, whatever, or you are a lay person, matters not. There are giftings that God has and God wants to place or has placed inside of you, and it becomes our responsibility to not neglect those gifts. Because the tendency of flame is to go out. It must be maintained. And so Paul here is exhorting him and he's saying, Do not neglect this gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, by the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. And so we're going to try to recapture that. Let me read it to you from the, the, the Amplified Bible. So just listen very carefully. See if this expounds it or amplifies this verse. Do not neglect the gift which is in you. That special inward endowment, which was directly imparted to you by the Holy Spirit, by prophetic utterance when the elders laid their hands upon you at their ordination, or at your ordination. And so let's see if we can recapture this and put this in context. It seems that young Timothy has professed the call to ministry. And as he makes a profession of a call to ministry, at some time the elders of the local church, the presbytery, it might have had apostolic members, it may have been local elders, it may have been other pastors. I don't know what the presbytery would have looked like. But there was a, 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 there is, was a significant moment, a singular moment, when they were going to lay hands on Timothy. And when they laid hands on him, they were going to believe that the unseen power of heaven, the anointing of God, the power of God was going to come upon him. He might at that moment have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. We read last week that it was the practice of the apostles to lay hands on men and women to receive the Holy Ghost. Y'all remember that? And so, so picture this. So this moment here is Timothy's got a call, but in order to fulfill that call, he needs an equipping. He has a call, but he needs an equipping. David had a call to be a king, but he needed an equipping. The Bible says the Spirit of God came upon David on a certain day from that day forward. You've got a call, you need an equipping. 
If you don't have any equipping, then you're just the, the stench of flesh, just to be honest, trying to do the work of God. We have to be equipped to do what God has called us to do. So it seems that upon that profession of his calling, proven over a period of time, the elders have recognized him and chosen to lay hands on him. So as they begin to lay hands on him, certainly they're doing at least one thing first. They're praying over him. Many of you have had hands laid upon you and somebody prayed over you and called the grace and the power and the goodness of God upon your life. And that's a powerful experience, especially if it's an elder, somebody walking in authority and power, not just power, but authority and power. And they're believing God on your behalf. And in the midst of that, as they are laying hands, and, and I, perhaps comparable was when Moses laid his hands on Joshua, not the 70, but Joshua, because the Bible says God took a of the power that was on Moses and the authority and the anointing and put it on Joshua. I believe in impartation. I believe that there can be works of the Holy Spirit that can come upon your life when somebody has an anointing, lays hands on you and speaks over you the word of faith. I believe that a measure of what God has put inside of them can get inside of you and will strengthen you to be the person God's called you to be, but also to do what he's called you to do. And so in this passage of Scripture and what I'm trying to fill this out in my mind, I see that Paul would later write and say that he was personal in laying hands on Timothy. So maybe not just in that instance, but it might have been more time. So you can picture it in your mind. The way I picture it is I see singular Timothy standing there. Perhaps there are others professing the call, but we're going to focus on Timothy. And I see the apostle Paul laying hands on him. And as he's doing so, he's imparting something unto him. Romans 1, Paul had told the church at Rome, he said, I long to see you. He said, I want to see you because I want to impart something unto you, a spiritual gift that will help you become established in the faith. He said, and by the way, we'll be mutually comforted together by the faith of both you and I. So it reciprocates itself. As we give out, we gain. Come on, somebody. As we lay hands on you and minister to you, we gain strength. Come on, it's like Popeye eating spinach when we begin to pray. All of a sudden, we find spiritual muscles begin to flex, and it begins to awaken anointings. And I see him laying hands on uh, Timothy, and he loves Timothy. He's his son in the faith, his common son in the faith. He's got relationship with him, and as he does so, he doesn't have children of his own. This is his son in the faith. He begins to pray a sincere prayer of speaking the favor and the blessing of God and the anointing of God. I remember Remember, it was told about Smith Wigglesworth. And when young Lester Sumrall, prior to World War II in England, had gone to see him, and the order had been given that, that all the Americans had to leave England because World War II was erupting, he went to see the aged apostle of faith one last time. And the, in his own book, My Story for His Glory, Dr. Sumrall tells how the aged apostle had took him close and held him up beside him and began to cry hot tears that dripped off of his face and on the head of Lester Summerall. And he said these words, God, let all the faith that's on the inside of me be in this young man. And I can see the Apostle Paul holding Timothy dear and saying, God, let every good thing that's in me in Christ Jesus now be in Timothy. Let every anointing that you have placed on my life, God, let every calling and unction, let every power and great grace, everything that's 
on the inside of me be in this young man. Come on, somebody. And as that began to happen, then the Bible says that a prophetical utterance was uttered that began to empower him and place spiritual gifts in him that would actually direct his path. What do I mean by that? I believe it's in 2 Timothy 1 and 18 or perhaps 1 Timothy. I can't recall right here. But Paul told Timothy this. He said, My son Timothy, according to the prophecies that went before concerning you, wage a good warfare. That moment was so significant in the life of Timothy that the prophetical utterance that went over him at that moment would help set the course for his life. He's saying you strategically adjust your life to the prophecy that's been made about you. Well, you know why that's dear to me? I've shared that with you before. I'm the pastor of this assembly today because I was 17 years of age. I was sitting at the church, the full gospel church at Kuderneck. Who goes to the full gospel church at Kuderneck to hear a barefoot preacher? But I happened to be there that day and the barefoot preacher had put on tennis shoes. And then in the middle of the service, I was 17 years of age. He came back to me, stopped his preaching, laid his hand on me, and spoke a prophetical word over my life that God would use me to stir this area up with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, th now the thing about that is, is that I'm not seeing it all in fruition, but I'm seeing the beginning of it. But I balanced my life. I adjusted my life. I was in the military. I joined the military. I could have went anywhere in the world. But I had a word that had been spoken over me in the Holy Ghost that I knew was from God, and it directed my step. Right? And I shouldn't neglect it. And I shouldn't neglect what was placed inside of me. And I should be acutely aware because if you don't maintain it, I'm not going to say that you will lose it but it will lose its effectiveness. If you fail to tend it, to keep it fresh, come on now, I don't know if the flame can go out, but I know that it will lose its design from God if it's not burning as brightly as God intended it for be, to be in your life. Our responsibility is to keep it fresh, to keep it viable, to exercise it, to develop it, come on, to show progress with it, to mature in it. Come on, we need to mature with the gifts of God. You know, we need to mature with the unctions. We need to study to show ourselves approved unto God. It's time to educate ourselves. It's time to grow in our understanding of the things of the Spirit. I'm learning as I age that the, the, the less I do in the natural, the more God can do in the Spirit. Hallelujah. You missed a great place to say amen. The less that I put pressure upon myself to accomplish in the natural and I put a, a, a dependency upon the work and the power of the Holy Spirit, the more God can accomplish. And my responsibility is to stir these things up, to recognize that God is moving us and God is moving some of you. I believe many of you are like Samson and you can remember the story of Samson. I, I love the context of that story. I won't recall and recount it all before you today because we're only going to go to one additional passage of Scripture and that's in 2 Timothy. But the story of Samson when it told how that God began to raise him up uh, the Bible says the Spirit of God began to move him at times in the camp. Now, for some of you, we think of the story of Samson and we only think 
about his great exploits of strength and how that God was using him to bring deliverance to the people of Israel from the oppression of the Philistines. And for some reason, we kind of make it a comic book like reading and, and, and especially certain ladies may back away from it because it's kind of filled with warfare and it's filled with fightings and, and everything. But let me tell you, it's more than that. You've got to read it deeper than that. You've got to say, God, if you anointed Samson to fight his enemy... Come on, you may be a single mother and you may have an enemy. It may not be the Philistines, but you got a, come on, you got an enemy out there. And if he had to have the anointing to do what God called him to do, then who do you think you are? So that you can do what God's called you to do without the anointing. We've got to be moved by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Paul exhorts Timothy, don't neglect it, maintain it. Number two, let's switch over real quickly. So now we go to 2 Timothy I don't know the time and space that has taken place from these two epistles having been written. But it seems to me on the surface, on the surface, that Timothy has failed to keep fully the exhortation that Paul had written to him previously because he's at need of reawakening that gifting. I tell you, my observation in the church and even in my own personal life, it's so easy to neglect these things. I've found myself, I don't necessarily neglect them through bad things. I often neglect them through good things. Things that I justify putting in priority above these things. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? So Paul says to Timothy, wherefore... I put you in remembrance, second epistle, perhaps separated by not just months, but perhaps years. Paul is aware of some things that are going on. He's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's aware of Timothy and his tendencies and his personality. That's why he said in the seventh verse, God's not given you a spirit of fear, but power and love and of a sound mind. But read that sixth verse and read it and put yourself in the place. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. I put you in remembrance. I remind you of that day. I remind you of that moment. I remind you of that prophetical unction. I remind you of the words that were spoken over you. I remind you of the hands of the presbytery that was laid upon you. I remind you of your response. I remind you of when you spoke in tongues. I remind you of when you began to prophesy. I remind you. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? That's what Paul is saying to Timothy. Let's read it from the Amplified Bible for just a moment. It says here, this is why that is why I would remind you to stir up, listen to this to rekindle the embers of and fan the flame of and keep burning the gracious gift of God that inner fire that is in you by means of the laying on of my hands with those of the elders at your ordination. So here Paul is telling Timothy he's saying Timothy, he said the fire has waned some like the oil in the tabernacle the day has set and as the priest has gone in to look at the lamp he's noticed that the fire has waned and the oil needs to be re 
refueled and reinvigorated. And he's saying, Timothy, you're at that place in your life when you've got to diligently begin to stir up the gift of God that's on the inside of you. It doesn't just happen, church family. We don't just arbitrarily get on fire for God and live that way the rest of our life without giving maintenance to this thing. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? You've got to give maintenance. That's a good word from Jojo earlier today. You've got to examine yourself. Is your prayer time illuminated by the presence of God? Is your reading of Scripture, is God speaking to you by revelation? Uh, are you, are, is your mind filled with the things of the world versus the things of God? If so, it's time for you to stir up the gift of God that's on the inside of you. Put yourself in an environment. Begin to do the things that you can do. I believe here personally, I believe that the preaching of the Word can help stir up the gift of God that's on the inside of you. That's why the devil doesn't want you coming to church. Because have you noticed that if you're not active in church, oftentimes that that fire that, come on, begins to wane just a little bit. But when you're active in the fellowship and you're surrounded by men and women full of faith and power and grace, come on, then all of a sudden there's an agitation within you and you find yourself more spiritually vibrant. But the enemy's always trying to pull us away. So I believe there are numerous ways that you can stir up the gift of God that's on the inside of you. Sometimes it's just through prayer. But I know this about prayer, and I won't teach about it fully today, but sometimes you got to pray through. You don't just pray. Many times I go to prayer and it's cold and God seems distant. I don't feel the presence of God. I don't agitate the gift. And if I were to leave right then, I don't feel like I would have accomplished anything. But if I'll stay long enough and pray fervently, are you hearing what I'm saying? The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man will make much power available. But if we are not, if we are not giving attention to these things, so we pray, we learn to speak the word and read the word and to prophesy the word. Have you ever, and I told you last week, uh, if you've not done this, you need to do this. Get along with your Bible and just take the word of God and read it audibly out loud. Hear it in your own ears. Uh, shield yourself and surround yourself with it. Speak it audibly to yourself and as you do so, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It won't be long before a prophetical utterance will begin to bubble up on the inside of you. And that thing which was cold and callous and distant and difficult and the flame was just a very, barely flickering will suddenly have risen up full of power and great grace. And the, you know when you got the anointing. Come on, somebody. You know when you're walking in the anointing. You know when you're walking in the peace and the power and the presence of God. You know when it's not just you, it's Him. And in Him you live and in Him you move and in Him you have your very being. Come on, somebody. You know when you've stirred up the gift of God. You and I both know that. And so I want to encourage you today. Speak to yourself in spiritual songs. Come on, it's time to turn off the wolf. And turn on, what is it, K-Life? K-Love. Hello, somebody. That wasn't in the notes, but it was worth saying. And next week, I'll share with you one of the greatest means to keep yourself spiritually vibrant is to pray in the Holy Ghost. My God, we need to pray in tongues. Come on, because my mind doesn't always know what to pray for. Romans 8 and 26 says, We do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself joins with our spirit and prays through us the will of God. 
Sometimes I can be praying my mind is over here, but the Spirit of God is praying right here. Come on, somebody. But we'll go into that next week. I just want to encourage you today if, as I'm going to begin to invite the worship team back to the platform for just a moment. As we're going to go back into prayer and our prayer time today in a moment is just going to be to bring people down and to just begin to recapture and restir and re-agitate and we want to lay hands on you in faith. Those of you that say, Pastor, I just need a rekindling in my life. Let me remind you about the lampstand. Portions of the lampstand could be relit from the other bowl. Come on, so your your flame may have gone down just a little bit, but somebody over here, still a part of the lampstand, has got a vibrant flame of God, and God can take of the anointing that's upon them and use that. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? That's why I allow men and women that we know and trust to lay hands on you. You never know when somebody's going to speak a prophetical word over your life that will bring a change to you that you will never forget. Come on. And so I want you to know that even if time and seasons have passed and you neglected the anointing, it does take time and it takes diligence, but you can get the anointing back. I told somebody this morning, I remember Samson neglected the gift of God through various means, a man that was moved powerfully by the power of God. But you remember the fourth time that he laid his head in the lap of Delilah, he exposed to her all of his gifting, all of his calling. And remember, she called for a shears when he was deep in sleep and she, 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 she shaved his head, seven locks tied to his faith was taken from him. And he didn't, and he lost his power. He rose up to fight the enemy and the Bible says that he didn't even know. That's what happens when we neglect the things of God. We go to pray. We go to do the things that we had trained ourselves to do and we can't find the presence of God because we're neglecting. We got our head pillowed in the lap of the world a little too long. We got to get ourselves to the place where we protect the anointing a little more carefully. And the enemy took him, poked his eyes out, put him in the grain mill and caused him to, 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 to grind grain like a common animal. But I love what the first, or what is it, Judges chapter 16 says. It says, but the hair of his head, come on now, get a hold of that church family. But the hair of his head began to grow. Come on now. So what you used to have, you may feel like you lost it, but you can get it back. And more can come on you at the end than at the beginning. Why don't we stand up for the sake of time today? It's 11.57. What I think would be right and benefit us as a fellowship is as we go back into this song of worship I shared with you last week, our attention is on the altar. Men and women of God are here to pray and to lift up one another. I want to encourage you, if you found the, 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 the flame of your anointing beginning to wane, I want to encourage you to just to come forward and begin to worship. Let's all worship God for just a little while.